My name is John Riley. I'll have your ear only a while. I left my dear home in Ireland. It was death, starvation, or exile. When I got to America, it was my duty to go. Enter the army and slog across Texas to join in the war against Mexico. And it was there in the pueblos and hillsides that I saw the mistake I had made. Part of a conquering army with the morals of a bayonet blade. And there amidst all these poor dying Catholics, screaming children, the burning stench of it all. Myself and two hundred Irishmen decided to rise to the call. From Dublin City to San Diego, we witnessed freedom denied. So we formed the St. Patrick Battalion and we fought on the Mexican side. We formed the St. Patrick Battalion and we fought on the Mexican side. Marched neath the green flag of St. Patrick, emblazoned with Erin Golbra. Bright with the harp and the shamrock, and the Veritat Padre Republica. Just fifty years after Wolf's Tone, five thousand miles away, the Yanks called us a legion of strangers, and they can talk as they may. But from Dublin City to San Diego, we witnessed freedom denied, so we formed the St. Patrick Battalion, and we fought on the Mexican side. We formed the St. Patrick Battalion, and we fought on the Mexican side. We fought them in five major battles. Churubusco was the last. Overwhelmed by the cannons from Boston, we fell after each mortar blast. Most of us died on that hillside in the service of the Mexican state. So far from our occupied homeland, we were heroes and victims of fate. From Dublin City to San Diego, we witnessed freedom denied. So we formed the St. Patrick Battalion and we fought on the Mexican side. From Dublin City, to San Diego, we witnessed freedom denied. So we formed the St. Patrick Battalion, and we fought on the Mexican side. We formed the St. Patrick Battalion, and we fought on the Mexican side.
Howdy, folks. Welcome to Redneck Gone Green. I'm your host, David Cobb, and you bet I've gone green, and I'm trying to convince you to do it, too. And as I do every week, I want to remind you that when I say go green and when we say Redneck Gone Green on this program, we mean it in a multiple of ways. Number one, uh, we mean deep ecology, acknowledging respecting, understanding, appreciating that life itself is an interconnected web and that whatever we do to that web, we ultimately do to ourselves. So it's not merely conservation. It's not merely environmentalism. It is deep ecology. I am a redneck. I am also a green. Uh, I'm an eco-socialist and proud of it. In addition to that, I mean Green Party because I am a unapologetic, proud member of the Green Party, the only political party that is premised upon a core set of values, peace, justice, democracy, and ecology. Uh, we are very eager to, to use electoral politics in order to transform society, not just to get good people elected, although we want to do that. We also want to shift the entire political economy. We want to move away from power over to power with, away from extraction towards regeneration, move away from domination and towards cooperation. And it is in that spirit that I am very eager and very proud to be welcoming uh, the candidate for U.S. Congress, Sean Doherty. Uh, Sean has worked as an engineer since the late 90s. He's lived in Santa Cruz, California for nearly a decade. He's a father of a young toddler. Uh, he came, became politically active during the Iraq War and the Occupy Movement. Since that time, he got involved in the Bernie for President campaign. Uh, he got completely, uh, well, I'll let him speak to how his experience within the Democratic Party was. Suffice it to say, he currently serves as co-chair of the California Green Party's membership and outreach committee. And most importantly, he's running for U.S. Congress as an unapologetic anti-war candidate. Sean Doherty, welcome to Redneck Gone Green. Yeah, David, thank you so much for having me on. You know, Sean, I want to get right down to it, uh, and I want to give you an opportunity to, to explain to the viewers, listeners of Redneck Gone Green, what the heck made you decide to run for Congress? Tell us a little bit about your yourself and what brings you into this conversation. Well, you know, it's funny, David. Uh, now that I have this toddler, it, this is the least amount of spare time I've ever had in my life. So, of course, I decided to run for Congress. <laughs> <laughs> Completely insane. Um, so the short answer is that I'm running for Congress because my incumbent congressman has never met a war that he didn't like. And I want to pressure him, if not remove him from office. I want to pressure him to soften those views or remove him from office. Um, some local activists and I, this was at the beginning of the year, were trying to get uh, just a five minute meeting with him when he was in the district and we couldn't even get that. And at first I thought, well, maybe we can start some kind of social media campaign to pressure him. But uh, then it struck me, well, I think if I were to run for Congress, maybe he'd have to listen to me. And that's really why I'm running. That's how it started, at least. 
And I noticed on your website, the, the ceasefire in Gaza or a call for a ceasefire in Gaza is like central to your campaign. Uh, I want to give you a chance to actually talk about how you're imagining uh, the Sean for Peace campaign uh, to run. What are you running on? What are you running for, Sean? Yeah, well, as you said, the, the call for a ceasefire in Gaza is the focus right now of our campaign. It's what our past couple campaign statements have been about. And I imagine uh, moving forward, quite a few of our statements will continue to be about it. And it's really a rallying cry for those around us. I think, I mean, it's what everybody's talking about. It's what everybody is thinking about and crying about. Um, so, and, and I mean, when we started this campaign, it was well before October 7th, it was in July. Uh, and I'm, I'm really excited that we have this vehicle in place now to give people uh, a way to pressure this representative. Uh, because, you know, right now, uh, you've, I'm sure seen the survey data, 80% of Democrats want a ceasefire, uh, something like 66% of Americans generally want a ceasefire. So that first and foremost, that's what we're doing right now as a campaign. And I, I do want to stop for a moment to really underscore that, right? It's a super majority of all Americans want a ceasefire. It's it's approaching 70%. Amongst Democratic Party registered voters, it's over 80%. Uh, so it, this is a wildly unpopular uh, war, and yet we can't get Democratic Party leadership uh, to call for just a simple ceasefire. I mean, this is outrageous to me, but of course, it's what Democrats always do, which is support war and empire. Right. And so that's, as I said, what, what we tend to focus on. But we've got a whole platform. Um, and uh, one of the things that I like to talk about in my speeches is what does war and empire cost us? You know, if you, if you look at my homepage, uh, I've got some little boxes laying out my planks. And uh, the first plank is homes, not bases. And, and what that means is that the money that we spend on all of our hundreds of bases, military bases overseas, that money could instead give us universal housing. And on top of that, it could give us uh, universal tuition-free college for your college. Uh, so so it does come at a great cost. Um, and of course, we also, uh, as my slogan says, peace, justice, climate action uh, for justice. Uh, we talk about, uh, well, we're against censorship. Uh, we're for LGBTQIA plus rights. Um, and uh, finally, for uh, climate, you know, we've got a whole bunch of planks. Th these are some of the highlights, though. Uh, for climate, I like to talk about keeping the oil in the ground. That's basically it. But really overarching over all that is pointing out the corruption of the incumbent. So he has voted, for example, the Mountain Valley Pipeline. And why did he do that? Well, I think it must have something to do with the $50,000 plus in campaign donations that he's taken from fossil fuel companies. And he consistently supports escalation in, in these conflicts like in Ukraine and uh, Israel. 
And I think that might have to do with the $150,000 plus that he's taken in campaign contributions from weapons manufacturers. Uh, so it, yeah, it's an anti-war campaign. It is, it is an anti-corruption campaign. So I, I love how uh, you're you're tying these all in together, Sean. And you know, one of the things that you're calling for is pull, full publicly funded elections. And you actually make the case on your website and in your writings that campaign contributions are just legalized bribery. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to invite you to tell us a little bit about uh, what you mean by that, and then some of the data that you've been able to pull about your incumbent. Yeah, well, so um, what I mean is that these politicians are being given hundreds of thousands of dollars in a given election cycle in campaign donations, cycle after cycle after cycle. So, and oftentimes by the same corporations and PACs. And these corporations and PACs wouldn't give this money over and over and over again unless if it was actually getting them something, right? If there was a, unless if there were a return on their investment. So to me, it's very clear that this is legalized bribery. And there are some rules in place to restrict, say, the, the amount of money that can be given, but you can see the cumulative effect of these relatively small numbers. So what you'll see is, okay, so a PAC can only give, you know, say, $5,000, well, what if 10 packs from the same industry give $5,000? Well, that's $50,000 for the primary. And then they can do it again for the general. And now that's $100,000. And now what if they do it for every member of Congress? You know, now you're, now you're in the millions of dollars. Uh, and so they, these corporations are buying uh, legislation. They're buying votes. And uh, I think it's really that simple. And so I want to point out that my campaign, well, for one, as, as a Green, uh, we refuse corporate money, period. It really is that simple. I've gone one step beyond that in, redu- in limiting the amount of money that I will take from an individual donor to um, $500, where the legal maximum is about $3,300. And as for the money that this incumbent has been taking, um, we have put out some campaign statements calling out specifically the money that he's taken from weapons manufacturers like Lockheed Martin and fossil fuel companies. But we can also see, and I think that we'll be detailing this soon, we can also see that he's been taking money from Wall Street, Big Ag, Big Pharma, uh, health insurance, or uh, rather uh, insurance, the insurance industry. So I think what this means is that we can never expect him to give us real reform, such as single payer healthcare. Uh, it means that uh, we are never going to see uh, tuition-free college. Um, he's not serving his constituents, he's serving his donors. Folks, you're listening and or watching Redneck Gone Green. I'm your host, David Cobb. We're speaking with Sean Doherty, who is running for U.S. Congress uh, in California, specifically the Santa Cruz region, but it also, I think, stretches all the way uh, to San Luis Obispo. 
Uh, I want to remind you that you're listening and are watching this as a source of non-corporately filtered news information and analysis. Uh, maybe you're watching us on Rumble. Maybe you're watching us on Facebook or YouTube. Maybe you're listening to the podcast. What I am going to ask you to do is to like, comment, and share. I know everybody says that. And you know why they say that? Because that's how you break out of the algorithm. Uh, and we desperately need to continue to build an audience for peace, for justice, for democracy, and for ecology. I also want to lift up uh, and encourage others to join Z Manny, who is a frequent uh, viewer and uh, commenter. Z Manny writes in to say, Sean, promote Greens as a gateway party, opening the floodgates to democracy. One, national corporate free ballot line for hundreds of races, both now and in the future. And number two, push ranked choice voting and proportional representation to open the door for other parties. I'm wondering how that lands for you, Sean Doherty. Oh, I think that's a great idea. I, I would love, I would definitely love to see structural reform of the election system, like ranked choice voting or, or proportional voting. I, 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 um, I like both of those. And I also like the idea of having more political parties. Uh, I'm a I'd say a pragmatist at heart, and I see the Green Party as the only electorally viable uh, party on the left, and that's why I'm throwing in my lot with the Greens, uh, 110%, <laughs> put a lot of time into it. Um, but yeah, I, I would love to have more options. And Sean, I do want to back up because I know that you got really politicized during the Bernie Sanders campaign. Uh, in 2016. Maybe you were already involved in electoral politics a little bit, but my earlier conversations with you, uh, you specifically mentioned your involvement there of being inspired and really throwing down, but you had a particular kind of experience with the Democratic Party, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. So before Bernie, I wasn't involved with electoralism beyond going to the uh, ballot box, you know, every election cycle, that was all I would do. It was with Bernie that I started knocking on doors, making phone calls, making donations. Um, and I, I really believed in Bernie. And when he, when the primary was rigged in 2016, I wanted him to take Jill Stein's offer and get on the, the green ticket. I thought that was the way to go. And I should have given up on him when he didn't do that when he basically just tucked his tail. Um, sorry. Uh, so, but I stuck with him. You know, I believed in him. I believed in the Progressive Democrat Project. I believed that it was possible to reform the Democratic Party from within. I believed in the squad. You know, I gave money to all of the, the squad members. Um, and but I just saw them letting us down again and again and again. And they were using what some people call the rotating villain strategy where, you know, every, every vote, just one of them would, would defect from what you would hope for them to do as a block. And in the end, I came to the conclusion that they were just answering to uh, the party leadership. I came to the conclusion that I was wrong in thinking that it was sufficient to support candidates that didn't themselves take corporate donations. It doesn't matter if at the end of the day, they're in a party with leaders that take 
corporate donations. Because ultimately, you know, these people like AOC answer to people like Nancy Pelosi. I mean, maybe not Nancy Pelosi now, but um, it's it, it doesn't accomplish anything to elect candidates that don't directly take corporate money within a corporate party. You're still electing a corporate representative. You know, Sean, I really empathize with you and the process that you have described and what you went through. And I mean that very sincerely because, you know, I got my, as you can see, uh, for those of you who are watching, I got, I'm a gray beard, right? I, I am a, of a certain generation. And the reality is that I got my, uh, I like to say I got my start in politics in the anti-apartheid movement uh, as a student activist at the University of Houston in the 80s. And we weren't electing anybody to public office, but you damn right, we were doing politics. We were literally organizing and educating uh, to force the University of Houston Board of Regents to stop investing in corporations that do business with the apartheid regime in South Africa. And from there, it became, it was just very natural for me to get involved in Jesse Jackson's campaign in 84 and in the 88. And I learned a lot on those campaigns. Uh, I learned as a white person how to put myself under the leadership of people of color. Uh, I learned about how to bring together environmentalists and uh, organized labor and women's groups. I learned about Palestine for the first time and how the U.S. foreign policy is really a policy of empire. I learned a lot. But you know what else I learned, Sean? I learned that the Democratic Party's presidential primary is where progressive politics goes to die. Because mm -hmm. all the enthusiasm, all the excitement, all the energy that progressives pour into that is ultimately wasted. And it seems like every four years we have the same thing, whether it's Jesse Jackson or Jerry Brown or Howard Dean or Dennis Kucinich or Bernie Sanders, the list goes on and on, that we are always encouraged to go into the Democratic Party during the primary, pour our, our money, our, our sweat, our tears uh, into campaigns. And at the end of the day, we have built nothing. There's no institutional capacity to challenge this empire. There's no way to actually build a movement. So I, like you, Sean, have come to the conclusion that it's actually smart tactics, that it actually make as, as hard as it is to create an alternative political party, it's actually smarter and more realistic to do that than it is to try to continue to beat our heads against the wall. I mean, I, I'm a recovering alcoholic with over 30 years of sobriety. We got a saying, doing the same thing over and over and expecting the different results, that's the very definition of an insanity. And I gotta tell you that my lived experience and my read of history has been that the corporatists of, that control the Democratic Party, not rank and file Democrats, but the neoliberals who actually control that apparatus are never going to deliver the kind of platform that you're calling for, Sean. No, certainly not. And uh, I mean, for, for one, I think it's important to recognize that the Democrats rigged the presidential primary. And, and it is, I, I think, as you described, I think this is absolutely the case that they use it as a means to draw the progressives into the party and put them on a leash and keep them on the leash and get them identifying with the Democratic Party. Because, uh, I mean, it, obviously it's different between states, but here in California, in order to vote in the presidential primary, you have to either be in that party that you want to vote for, 
or you like temporarily join it. Um, and but I and I think that gets people to identify with it. Okay, now you're in the club. Okay, oh, wah, wah, your guy lost, super delegates. Oh, <laughs> let's forget about that. Okay, now now you got to vote uh, for the you you got to vote for the lesser evil, right? Um, it's, it cracks me up right now. I don't know if you've seen this on social media. At least in my sphere, they're they're talking about ninety nine percent Hitler. <laughs> it's cracking. Have you seen that? I haven't. <laughs> I'll look for it. Okay, it's great. Uh, yeah, and so one of the things that that I'm most concerned about, and this is completely in line with what you're saying, David, is I want something that persists beyond just one election cycle. Um, and I think I may have just gotten lucky that I stumbled into this this uh, county organization called Santa Cruz for Bernie, where and they're still alive. It's it's really remarkable. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of Democrats in it, but there's also a lot of just what I would call independents and greens. And um, I think that inspired me to start thinking about something beyond just one election. And uh, ultimately, I you know arrived at the Green Party, and I realized, well, this is what we need to be building up. Um, right now, as a matter of fact, I'm trying to uh, create a county council in in my county, Santa Cruz County. I, I love that, and I want I want to lift that up, Sean, because you know again, you came out of uh, the Bernie movement, and you were active in Occupy. You were uh, you were uh, very you were involved with Food Not Bombs, so you have a a social justice history as an individual organizer, and you've decided now to run for Congress on uh, a really transformational uh, platform. And I really have been inspired by the candidate statement uh, that you have uh, created. And I want to uh, invite Jack Rabbit, uh, our intrepid uh, uh, producer, if you'd throw that up on the screen for those who are watching on uh, any of the video platforms. If you're uh, listening to us on a podcast, we will invite Sean to read it out. But this this uh, candidate statement uh, in the voter guide is really powerful. So I'm going to invite you, Sean, to to read this uh, in case folks aren't able to see it because I really feel like this is the kind of thing that the hundreds of thousands of folks uh, who get this voter guide might be able to hear uh, for the first time. So uh, hit it, Sean. Tell us yeah. about this voter guide statement. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, I'm just going to go ahead and read it. But but as you said, David, this will go out to the mailboxes of hundreds of thousands of registered voters in Santa Cruz County. And I, and I also, before I read it, I, I want to explain to people that people in this community, in this congressional district, do not know the information that's in this voter guide. We don't have a functioning local media, OK? There are not journalists who are digging into uh, this incumbent congressman's voting history or his uh, donation history, his campaign donation history. All they, all the people around here know, and I'm talking about activists. I'm talking about people who are elected officials and, and even, even the radical activists don't know this information about him. So that's why I really want to get this into mailboxes. My, my wife and I, who did most of the research behind this, but behind our various statements, we didn't know this stuff about him when we decided to run against him. We were shocked. Uh, so I, that's, that's part of why it's so important that we get this out. Um, all right, I'll, I'll go ahead and start reading. 
I'm running for Congress because the incumbent consistently supports atrocities abroad, from cluster munitions in Ukraine to the bombardment of Gaza. In addition, he has voted for the construction of massive new fossil fuel projects like the Mountain Valley Pipeline, despite the science telling us that our planet cannot afford any new drilling. He doesn't represent the values or interests of the people living in this district. Rather, his voting is consistent with the agenda of his donors. He has received at least $200,000 in campaign donations from fossil fuels and weapons manufacturers, as well as donations from Wall Street, Big Ag, Big Pharma, and the insurance industry. He will never fight for true reform. He will only give us small symbolic wins and smiling photos on social media. Congress has a 17% approval rating, and it is because of representatives like the incumbent. We can afford universal housing, healthcare, higher education, paid family leave, and more, but our government will not prioritize these things until we eliminate the influence of corporate money. I'm a proud member of a political party that refuses corporate donations, and I also refuse individual donations above $500. I don't have all the answers, but I'm not bought, so I'll make an honest attempt at finding them. The system isn't working. We can't give the incumbent another term to continue this failure. Join me in mounting a revolution of peace and integrity. So that's the statement. Um, it, we're limited to 250 words. Believe me, there's so much more data that I wanted to get into there. Um, but uh, we've, we've got individual statements on our website with higher word counts where we can link to fec.gov and uh, house.gov. So one thing I want to uh, do is lift up and uh, and acknowledge like you're actually you, you don't shy away from a revolution and you don't shy away from love and peace. Those are not contradictory <laughs> in your language. And I, I really appreciate that. And I want to invite you to talk about that. Sure. Well, uh, I, I mean, I, I take that as a compliment, certainly. Uh, I actually think of myself as using very uh, plain language. Uh, well, I, I, I at least strive for that. Um, I, I try not to use jargon. Um, honestly, you know, that, that was very flattering what you just said. I'm not sure if I think of myself in, in that way. Uh, to me, this is just so common sense. Like, let's stop wasting a, whatever it is, a, over a trillion dollars. Nobody quite knows how much we're spending on the empire every year, right? But it's it's certainly well over a trillion we could be using that money to give everybody a home. I mean, where I'm living, uh, we've got at least at one point recently, we had the highest per capita homelessness rate or houselessness rate in the entire uh, state of California. So I just, I see it in, in front of me every day. Um, and I think this is what people really want. I think they, I mean, that is what my campaign is calling for. They, most of the positions I'm taking are majority positions. People just don't believe that we can actually have them. They believe that they have to vote for the Democrat because otherwise the Republican's going to get elected and they can't risk it. Um, I feel like I didn't really answer your question directly, David. <laughs> Listen, you, you did fine. I, I also want to uh, lift up Peggy Cotine, longtime Green Party activist, uh, writes in to say, so glad that Sean is running and a great spokesperson for our party. Uh, Jacqueline uh, Hemmings uh, writes in as well to say, and I think this is astute, I feel that people are becoming more and more informed, but the elite have such a stranglehold on power that we seem to be mostly impotent. Perhaps only our only hope is international solidarity. And I really uh, want to uh, invite you to really think about 
like the fact that the Green Party is the only current truly global political party that has a core, like Greens in uh, Africa, in Europe, in Asia, uh, in North and South America, all have a interconnected set of principles based on deep ecology, racial and social justice, uh, genuine democracy and peace as a way to transform the entire political economy. I mean, there is no other global party that can counter a uh, global empire. Well, let me say hi to Peggy. Uh, I know Peggy, she's in my district. Uh, <laughs> you got that in, vote. <laughs> she's in a different county. Uh, yeah, actually, I, I didn't know her until uh, I was running this campaign. Uh, and yeah, I in line with what that comment just said, there, there, people do feel impotent. They, they know they don't like what they're getting, but they feel like there's no other choice. And it's been really hard to get people to help on this campaign because they think, what's the point? I mean, they've even said that, or they never say that to my face, but I hear from others who then tell me that, you know, there are some some leaders in this community who's, who say, yeah, I like what he stands for, but what's the point? Nobody's going to vote for him. And I actually, maybe this won't be of interest to a general audience, but let me just say something quickly about my race. Um, and I want to make the case that actually I do stand a chance. Uh, first of all, in California with congressional races, the primary is a nonpartisan primary. So it's not like the presidential primary where you've got different pools of candidates for different parties. In California, congressional races, the primary, all of the parties are put into a single pool. And so regardless of the voters party, they're all voting for that, that single pool. And the uh, top two vote getters go on to the general. And so what I'm emphasizing to, to people is I'm not a spoiler. You don't have to worry about a Republican getting into office because there won't even be two Republicans running. It's impossible for two Republicans to get the top two votes. Um, especially because it's supermajority Democrat in this district. So that's the first thing is that I could actually get into office and not have to worry about that spoiler effect. So that that makes it an easier sell, I think, for for, for my campaign. Uh, and number two, the the closest candidate this district has had to me in the past was in 2020. There was a progressive Democrat, and he got 12% of the vote in the primary, but the Republican got 20%. And, and then it was the Democrat and the Republican that went through to the general. So that progressive Democrat was just eight points shy of getting into the general. And I think that just with the Gaza, uh, just with the Gaza issue, where this incumbent is out of step with an overwhelming majority of his constituents, I think I can get those eight points just on just by being on the right side of that one issue. And also what that past candidate didn't have that I have is all these receipts from FEC.gov and House.gov. I, I mean, when when I said in that op the opening of that voter guide statement that the incumbent supports these atrocities abroad, I mean by votes. Like he had an opportunity to prevent the sending of cluster munitions to Ukraine. And 
I'm sure the audience already knows this, but let me just remind you, most nations in the world have banned the use of cluster munitions. The reason why is that when, you know, a cluster bomb, it has a bunch of little bomblets in it. They all fall on, on the battlefield. Not all of them explode. And decades later, children will pick them up and it'll kill the child. So cluster munitions disproportionately kill civilians. And he voted for it. He had the chance to stop it. This was just this year. He could have stopped the, the, the use of cluster munitions and he, he voted instead to allow their use. And then here we've got him supporting, he's in both in statement and in voting, he's supported what's happening in Gaza right now. And he'll, I mean, of course he'll say, oh, but we'll try to, they should be more careful. I mean, that's basically what it amounts to. Um, so I think that I've got a lot of heavy hitting information to, to get those eight points. So I actually think I can get into the general. So Z Manny, who uh, referenced earlier in the program, uh, encourages you and me uh, to really uh, not to emphasize what Greens have accomplished. Uh, you know, good to to call out the incumbent for uh, what he's done, but also what you, our vision is. And I'm going to take him up on that uh, and say, Sean, here is the 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 what why I encourage people to to register green and vote green. Registering green is a way to vote for peace, justice, democracy, and ecology every day, right? So voter registration is a powerful move. And deeper still, I'm going to give you, the audience, uh, a taste of what it took so-called third parties, what I'll just call alternative political parties, what it took for alternative political parties to champion at the ballot box, because every one of these were fought against by the existing two parties of their day, and only because third party activists promoted them did they become real. Are you ready for this list? It's pretty astounding. Number one, the abolition of slavery. Women getting the right to vote. The creation of the Social Security Administration. Unemployment insurance. Workers' compensation laws. Pure food and drug laws. Ending child labor. The direct election of the United States Senate. For goodness sakes, y'all, the entire fabric of what we today would consider the bare damn minimum for a decent and just society, that entire fabric was woven together by third-party activists who did their work when they were called naive or unrealistic, who did their work when they were called dangerous un-Americans, and who did their work when they were called spoilers. So today, if you want to live in a world, not just call for it, but actually live in a world that will end war as empire and foreign policy. If you want to live in a world that will address the runaway climate catastrophe that Democratic and Republican leadership are creating, if we want to live in a world that will dismantle the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank, uh, if we want to live in a world that will actually be a world worthy of our children, we're going to have to have the same courage, the same commitment, and the same confidence to be able to vote for candidates like Sean Doherty. That's my appeal. <laughs> well, David, uh, I, I don't think I can be quite as grand and inspirational as what you just said, but I, I do want to say this. I am noticing a real shift just between now and a year ago. So a year ago, I was trying to form a Santa Cruz Green Party. And I started by approaching people I knew from uh, other activist activities. I was trying to get them to switch their registration to green and help me form a county council. 
couldn't get anyone to do it aside from my wife. And she, you know, <laughs> she's my wife. She felt bad for me, I think. But let me tell you something. For this upcoming election cycle, uh, I needed to gather signatures in order to form a county council. I had to get 20 signatures from registered Greens. Uh, in the course of about a week and a half, I got seven people. I just counted while, while you were talking. I looked at my, uh, peti my, my petition. I counted the signatures. I, I converted seven people to Green. Just, yeah, just in about a week and a half. That wasn't happening a year ago. So, uh, and, you know, part of it is that I think people see a congressional run in their district. So the Green Party feels relevant. And they can also see how a Green can just say what they think. <laughs> like, wow, that's amazing. You know, Sean, um, I also want to take a moment to really let viewers and listeners know that Greens govern. Like one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is the Green Party has elected over 1,400 people uh, at the local and county level across the country. And when Greens get elected, they tend to get reelected and they govern. I mean, uh, and, and in fact, at the same time that uh, Bill Clinton was proclaiming that uh, marriage was only and forever will be between a man or a woman, uh, a Green Party mayor in New Paltz, New York, was marrying gay people, got arrested for it, uh, spent the weekend in jail. And Sean, do you know what he did the Monday he got out of jail? <laughs> he married another gay couple. So I'm just pointing out that, that Greens get elected. And when we get elected, we actually do things that are worth doing. And so this is what I, I encourage folks is to encourage and support people like Sean Doherty who were running for U.S. Congress, but also to get involved in your local Green Party. And that's one of the things that you've done, Sean. You're helping to create or recreate the Santa Cruz County Green Party. You're also the chair of the statewide membership and outreach committee. So I want to give you a chance to, to explain to the viewers and listeners of Redneck Gone Green why are you putting so much time and energy into the Green Party apparatus and organization? Well, for one thing, I want to make sure that the, the, that the Green Party stays alive uh, because it's the, only, uh, it's the only leftist party we have uh, that, that's, that's anywhere approaching electoral viability. Um, I wish I had a, a more inspiring answer, David. You're so good at that. Uh, for, I, I'm, a, I'm a really simple guy, I think. Uh, I want to have a left party. The Democratic Party is not a left party. The Democratic Party is a right party. Right? That's basically we have two different slightly, we, we have two right-wing parties that take different social positions. That's, I think, a, a fair way to, to describe it. Uh, I'm a socialist. I want a socialist party. I don't usually call myself a socialist in, in my um, in my campaign. I mean, I call for socialist policies without calling them socialist, but uh, I want a socialist party to exist. And unfortunately, to a party requires a lot of boring things like getting petitions signed. Um, Sorry, David, that's about all I got on that. That's, listen, it's, it's your campaign, Sean Doherty. And again, folks, uh, we're talking to Sean Doherty. Uh, Sean is a peace and justice activist. He's a father of a toddler. Uh, he is running for U.S. Congress. His website is seanforpeace.org. That's Sean, S-E-A-N, 
F-O-R-Peace, P-E-A-C-E dot O-R-G. And Sean, I want to give you a chance uh, to, to describe why is it that you're running and what do you hope to accomplish in this campaign? Yeah, well, b before we do that, I just want to mention something to people ab about that voter guide statement that I read uh, earlier, which is that it costs $17,500 for me to uh, get that state, just that 250 word statement in the voter guide. So I, I, if people are interested uh, in helping, it, it would really go a long way if you could go onto the website and donate what you can. Because um, it's really hard to raise $17,500 when you're calling for peace. <laughs> and one of the things actually that we're calling for on this campaign is um, completely eliminating the profits from the from uh, the defense industry. I, I think that um, as long as there's profits to be made in the manufacturing of weapons, there's always going to be more wars. Um, I, now I've lost my train of thought. David, you asked me a question. Can you remind me what it was? I was asking you to describe what it is that you hope to accomplish. Yeah, well, at the very least, what I hope to accomplish is to convince Jimmy Panetta, the incumbent congressman, I rarely say his name, but I want to convince Jimmy Panetta that it is electorally toxic to support war, to always support war, to support escalation and to convince them that it's electorally toxic to support the construction of new fossil fuel projects. That's really what I hope. And of course, I need to make it electorally toxic by educating the people in his district as to what he's been up to, the dirty money that he's been taking and the dirty votes he's been making. So that that's number one. Um, number two, I wanna get into the general, because if I can get into the general, then the debate, it, it shifts the Overton window. It's no longer, is climate change real? It's, okay, because if it's a Democrat versus a Republican, then they can have that stupid debate. Um, and it also, it, it basically becomes just a culture war issue, um, the way that climate change is discussed. But if it's a Democrat versus a Green, already it's a given, yes, we believe that, that man-made climate change is real. Now we talk about, well, how do we deal with it? And he's gonna have to defend his past votes where he approved the construction of new natural gas pipelines. And he's gonna have to defend his past statements that natural gas is a bridge. So that's an example of, of how I want to shift the conversation. And I want people to vote him out, <laughs> obviously. Well, I, 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 I mean, think I, I, I want to lift up Z Manny uh, in the comments, who I think makes a very important point, and that is to project a sense of real strength. Greens are actually quite strong, which is why Democrats are afraid of us and push so hard against us, because they see that Greens are effective. Greens tend to win, at least at the local level, whenever we run for office. Uh, and the, the fact is the Green Party is getting larger stronger and better organized with every election cycle. And it's because corporate Democrats are not delivering to their constituencies. They're not delivering a clean environment that environmentalists are demanding. They're not protecting women. They're not protecting the interest of the ethnic minorities. They are literally failing uh, in every way, in every way to imagine 
what they claim they stand for. And greens are growing. That's an amazing reality. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, I've seen surveys showing that almost two thirds of Americans want a third party. And, and so as a green, I, f I feel like we need to make sure we give them that choice, uh, especially, especially in, a, in an election structured like mine. Um, and uh, I think that we're on the right side of the issues. So, you know, uh, Sean, you and I are Green Party members. Uh, what I know is that uh, Jack Rabbit, who produces this show, who is uh, somebody who, like you, was incredibly active during the uh, Bernie campaign in 2016. Uh, I'm going to invite you, Jack, to come on the camera. I know you don't normally do it, but I just feel like I want to hear from you. Uh, how is Sean Doherty uh, landing for you as somebody who's not thrown down with the Green Party, uh, but I know for a fact you're anti-war? I'll vote for him. <laughs> Thanks, I'm moving Dad. to California, kids. Nick <laughs> Oh, yeah. So and just... When, when, Jack, when, when you hear uh, Sean go so far as to say that the Democratic Party literally rigged the presidential uh, primary process back in 2016, how does that land for you? Uh, yeah, no, duh. I mean, come on, man. You know it. We got it. This, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I want to just say, Z Manny, you're spot on, correct. Uh, you know, I definitely feel the same way. I want to, um, you know, I definitely want to see that, you know, Sean, you expect us to vote for you. You are excited about us voting for you. You know we should vote for you. Like I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Sean. I think he's great. I am excited. If I if I lived in a district, I would one hundred percent vote for him without a question. Um, yeah, I just like you know, Sean, you're doing a great job. It's great work that you're doing. I'm really I'm like glad that you're out there. I'm proud of you for doing what you're doing. Go for it. I think it's great. Um, you know, there's so many people right now out there who need to see somebody publicly stating this stuff, standing up, being ready to lead on these alternative ways of dealing with politics in our country, these essential issues. I really want to just point it out to people. This is something, you know, David knows this. I'm always asking him, what's the practical? Why does this matter to regular people? What can regular people do? You see, like you're talking about all this stuff, all these problems, all these issues. What can we do? And that's why I'm really grateful to you, Sean, for stepping up. What did you do? You said, I saw there was a problem. There's this guy who's in office. He's, he's a jerk. I don't like him. He's doing the wrong stuff what is happening you're like i'm gonna do something about it and that's what i really want to emphasize to everybody who's listening watching this is for you right this is for you take inspiration from what sean is doing he's running for a statewide office being you know running for congress that's a big deal right you don't have to run for congress you can run for you know uh school board you can vote for, you know uh whatever it is like if you feel like you want to start small like start as a council person you know but just do it. And it's the same. That's not just that. It's not just running for office, right? Because as David says all the time, we don't want to fetishize electoralism, right? I agree with that 100%. We can't do that. We need to take action directly, right? One of the ways that we can do that, that Sean said that really resonated with me was, oh, hey, you know, it's like I started doing some research. This guy, he's bought and sold by all the big, you know, by all the, the the lobbyists. You know, this guy's getting so much money from lobbyists. You don't hear about that. You don't know about that. And, you know, what what am I thinking of when I hear that? I'm like, I'm thinking, 
like independent media. That's why I'm here with David. That's why Redneck Gone Green is important because we got to get the word out. You have to get the word out. The media isn't going to be talking about that, right? They're keeping it under wraps. They don't want to talk about that. Why? Because they're the ones making the money. They make money off of these election ads and all that stuff, right? So it's up to independent media, people who are on this call right now, watching us talking, hearing what we're saying to take action on their own, to be, the own, be their own media, be their own elected representative, get yourself out there and make this stuff happen. So, you know, I think that Sean, you know, I really appreciate what you're doing. I think it's really important. And I hope that people who are listening and watching can take inspiration from that, understand that, you know, this is what we need to do is we need to be the cavalry, right? We need, we're, nobody's coming to save us. We have to be able to step up and together work together to be able to make this stuff happen. That's why I'm really grateful to you, Sean, for doing the work that you're doing. I hope that, I hope that it works out, you know, and I hope that people can support you and you can stick with it, but you're doing really important work. And I'm really grateful to you for making, taking that, taking that chance, taking that risk and putting yourself out there, you know, so, so thanks for that. It's important. And I, I know that everybody who's on listening, watching, we need, we need that from you as well. So. So I'm gonna uh, I, I'm gonna invite you to close it out. But before we do, uh, Sean, I I want to again lift up Z Manny who writes in to say green candidates should be speaking of themselves as a green wave of candidates running to vote through change, push the idea of a green wave to reinforce a wellness of the potential uh, that the Green Party represents. So on that note, Sean, I'm gonna give you an opportunity for any final thoughts. I know you've got to go back to your daddy duties. Uh, so I want to thank you for spending the time with us and your last appeal to the audience here at Redneck Gone Green. Well, first, I, I want to agree with that last comment. I, I think that there really is the potential for a green wave happening right now. Just as I was talking about getting petition signatures. You know, I went from not being able to get my closest friend to switch to green to getting seven people to switch to green in just a week and a half. So there is something happening right now. And I and I think that right now with, with what's happening in Gaza, the mask has slipped off. And I think people can see that um, as the joke goes, this meme that's going on right now, uh, you've got 100% Hitler versus 99% Hitler. And people are realizing, oh, that's not a choice. I can't vote for 99% Hitler. So I think there really is an opportunity. Um, and finally, as I said, uh, I, I really need help getting that voter guide in people's mailboxes. So I'd really appreciate if people could go to the website and chip in a couple bucks. I, I hate saying that because I, I feel like I'm Bernie right now. And I got, I'm so embarrassed by how much money I gave Bernie. <laughs> I hate when politicians ask for money, but uh, hopefully I'm showing you a concrete thing I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to get that message in mailboxes for hundreds of thousands of people. This man is corrupt and we've got to remove him. So that's it. Thank you, Sean Doherty, running for Congress, seanforpeace.org. I want to thank you, the viewer, listener of Redneck Gone Green. Remember, our audience is growing, for which we are grateful. I'm going to ask you, if you are not yet a subscriber on Substack, literally go to Substack, Redneck Gone Green, uh, and sign up for free. Uh, we've got 4,000 folks and, and growing. Uh, we'd love for you to be a subscriber so you can get uh, our weekly announcements. Uh, I, I write every week and I'd like you to be part of it. Also join us on YouTube, Rumble, 
uh, and Facebook, Redneck, or David Keith Cobb, Redneck Gone Green. Uh, and the last thing I want to do is invite you next week because next week uh, we're going to actually be talking uh, to Terry Baricius, who is the author of an upcoming book on sortition. The idea, he's literally challenging the idea of uh, elections themselves and saying, actually, uh, we should create a more participatory process uh, using sortition. So this should be a fantastic conversation. I want to thank you all for uh, your participation. Thank you for what you're doing. Uh, peace.